Good evening, Purple family. Welcome to another episode of Shades of Purple, a Prince podcast. Tonight, we're going to be doing part two of my series of Was Prince a Jerk? So before I start, um, I just want to say happy belated Thanksgiving to everybody. I hope everybody here in the States got all the food you wanted. You were able to fellowship with your friends and family. My sister came down from Dallas with her family, her husband, and my two twin nieces. And we had just had a blast together. I don't get to see her very much because even though she only lives four and a half hours away in Texas, um, I only see her around this time of year or around spring break. So it was really good seeing her. I went to my parents' house and spent time with them. And then my husband, he um, went to his sister-in-law's house because, and of course I got to see my brother. And I mean, it was great. I mean, Thanksgiving was wonderful this year. So I'm very much looking forward to Christmas. And um, as the closer we get to Christmas, I'm going to do a special episode where I'm going to be talking about the only uh, Christmas song that Prince ever recorded. Um, And some of you may know the title. I'm not going to say the title on this uh, episode, but if you know the title, you know. If you know, you know. And I'm just going to do a special episode about that and just kind of, I don't know, just kind of think about you know, how Prince may have thought about the holidays in general. And, uh, but we'll get into that on another episode, but that's, that's going to be coming up on a future episode, but let's get right into was Prince a jerk part two. So in part one, I talked about a lot of the stuff that went on in the eighties with, you know, with his, his relationships, his personal relationships, both with his band and his girlfriends and things like that. Some of the things that I thought that he did that were just kind of messed up, like the whole kiss situation, with uh, Brown Mark and David Z, how he didn't give them co-writing credit for the creation of the song Kiss. And Kiss will go on, of course, to be one of Prince's uh, number one songs. And so he really could have done better by them. And then I talked about the situation with uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis about the, you know their notorious firing uh, for missing a gig. And uh, of course, that was a blessing in disguise, however, because they did go on and produced for Janet Jackson, the SOS band, and many others. So that one was kind of a, a bad thing, but not a bad thing. But he also did other things like Jesse Johnson, you know, like he would troll him endlessly. Like uh, the song Shockadelica was actually a song that was actually going to be the title of Jesse Johnson's album. And Prince turned around and made a song called Shockadelica, and he tried to give it to Jesse, but Jesse didn't want it. And so Prince ended up putting the song Shockadelica out before uh, Jesse Johnson could put his album out. So things like that, you know, just kind of undermining type stuff. Um, Jesse Johnson, he was a wonderful guitar player, okay? He could probably go toe-to-toe with Prince. And I think Prince may have been just, you know, a little intimidated by him and maybe even a little intimidated by the time as a group. And I think that's why he went out of his way to kind of sabotage them with the firing of Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Because after that, that was that was pretty much the end of the group. It was gutted after that. And uh, Morris Day in particular just had no interest in the group uh, after that. Because these were uh, men that he grew up with. And they these were like his childhood friends. And Prince was too. Prince was a childhood friend of Morris Day's as well. But it just, it just didn't feel the same to Morris after uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis uh, were forced to leave. But anyway, that's some of the things that I talked about in the first part. So the second part, I'm going to talk about some stuff that went on in the 90s, uh, mostly, because that's kind of where we are in the podcast. Um, I've got the Come album review coming up, and 
I'm going to also be reviewing the um, the documentary called um, what well, something slave. I can't remember the whole name of it off the top of my head now, but um, it's t- talks about you know his uh, Prince's notorious um, dispute with Warner Brothers and kind of we're gonna t- talk about that and how that came to uh, to pass. And I'm actually gonna talk about that a little bit in this episode just to refer to how, for instance, okay, so the big dispute was basically uh, Prince renewed his trunk, uh, his uh, contract for $100 million. And he did this in 1991, right around the time that Diamonds and Pearls came out. And Diamonds and Pearls will go on and uh, sell about uh, 5.2 million units. And so, uh, so he was able, he was in a good place to negotiate his renegotiate his contract with Warner Brothers, and he was able to uh, uh, get them to agree to a hundred million dollars. But that hundred million dollars uh, was a promise of like I think like six albums or something like that, and they all had to match what Diamonds and Pearls did. And in most cases, artists very rarely match themselves. Not even the great Michael Jackson was able to you know outproduce or outperform Thriller. So it just kind of like with Prince as well, like Purple Rain is still his top selling album and followed by Diamonds and Pearls. And so he was never going to match the sellout of Diamonds and Pearls and he didn't. And, um, but the contract that he signed was that he would match the sellout of, um, Diamonds and Pearls. And this is kind of like a basic, basic, um, uh, from my understanding of the contract. And anyway, and so it got to the point where he was wanting to put out all this music. And actually, the dispute actually started way back in the 80s, around the time that he put out Sign of the Times. Because Sign of the Times, for those that don't know, is actually made up of three different albums. Uh, Dream Factory, Crystal Ball, and Camille. And he combined kind of all these projects because he wanted to put out, at first, uh, initially he wanted to put out a three-disc album. But uh, Warner Brothers told him that's too much music. And we just can't do that. And so he actually had to pare it down to the two discs of Sign of the Times by com- combining uh, songs from all those other albums. Not all of the songs, but uh, he picked out, you know, some of the uh, best songs and put them on Sign of the Times. And of course, Sign of the Times is um, critically, his most critically acclaimed album. And it's one of my favorite albums, if not my favorite album of the 80s. And um, so, I mean, it, it turned out great, but... It came from, you know, Warner Brothers telling Prince, look, you're putting out too much music and you're not giving us time to try to promote it and try to get, you know, our fair share of, you know, what we can get out of it. You know, he's just cranking out all this music. And so it got to the point where Prince was like, "Okay, this is my creation. Okay, yes, you're responsible for distributing it, but this is this is coming from my head. So you're telling me that you own what's in my head was basically how, um, uh, what's the drummer? Uh, not, uh, yeah. Michael Bland. When he said in an interview, that's kind of how Prince saw it. And if you look at it from that perspective, you can kind of sympathize with Prince, but you have to remember that Warner brothers, you know, from the start of Prince's career, kind of, they kind of coddled him in a way they kind of, um, you know, let him like just about anything that he wanted Prince got in other words they kind of spoiled him and by this time I guess they were just tired of spoiling him and uh and Prince was the type he didn't like to he didn't like the word no from anybody whether it's from 
I mean, from anybody. Uh, so he just never expected for Warner Brothers to just kind of combat him. And this was the first time I think the Warner Brothers was actually standing up to him and was telling him no and meaning it. And I think for Prince, that was definitely a problem because he was like, how dare you tell me no, I always get my way. So if you look at it from that perspective, he you could see that he was being a little bit of a brat and he just, you know, wanted it his way. But at the same time, you know, he had a right to, you know, do what he wanted with his music, I think. And that was the reason why he became the symbol is because he felt like, you know, they took his birth name from him and he had to become some someone else so he could continue to do the type of music that he wanted to do. And a lot of people at the time mocked him for that and said that, you know, he was just being a spoiled brat. And, you know, like I said, I could probably see both sides of it. But for but for Prince, it was always about his music and the integrity of his music. And you've got to respect him for that. But, you know, like I said, a lot of people saw that as, you know, him being a little bit of a brat. And in other ways, you know, at the same time period, uh, he was dealing, of course, in his personal life, he was dealing with a lot of women. Uh, he uh, After he left, uh, well, not left, I think she left him. Um, after Kim Basinger, that whole thing in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, they broke up. But he was also seeing Anna Fantastic around the same time. And then he was also messing with Robin Power. And I think he was still messing with Sheila E. So he had all these women in and out of his life. And here comes 16-year-old Maite. So they uh, officially met in 1990. July 25th, I believe, was the date at, at a concert that Prince was doing in, I think, Spain, I want to say. Uh, or maybe it was Germany. It might have been Germany or Spain. I'm also going to be reviewing her book on the podcast in a couple of weeks. I have to, you know, get a chance to reread it again. I've read it a few times. But anyway, I think it was in Germany. It was a show on during the new tour in Germany, July 25th, 1990. And um, they met, you know, because um, her mother, Nell, Nellie, she was kind of relentless about trying to get this uh, videotape of Maite belly dancing to Prince. And so finally, you know, he saw the tape at this show, after the show, and had Maite come back. And she did say that she was 16 because Prince was like, are you really 16? And that there. And so you know where I'm going with this, right? So a lot of people have, you know, compared, you know, Prince to other predators that we won't name. And I'm not going to take it that far, but I will say that I don't think that anything happened between them because um, Maite was very adamant that, you know, they didn't get sexual until she was 19. And I have every reason to believe that. However, I do feel like a 37-year-old man, you know, being, you know, in that close context, contact with a 16-year-old, is it is questionable. I will say that. Um, and But at the same time, you also have to look at the parents as well. Nellie and her husband were very trusting. And I also think that Nellie, well, it was her intention to try to kind of push Maite on Prince, you know? And maybe Prince was aware of this. Maybe he wasn't. Uh, maybe he just he was just, you know, really enamored with her. And a lot of people say that she was groomed by him. And I, I disagree with that somewhat. I kind of think the grooming was more so on Nellie's part than it was on Prince's part. I think Prince saw someone that he can maybe add to the band. And he actually, uh, Rob, according to Robin Power, uh, he asked Robin what she thought about Maite. And she said that she told him, yeah, add her to the band as a dancer. You know, I think she's great. 
And so I think that, I think that in the beginning, you know, he was looking at it through that lens and he may have, um, definitely saw her as a muse of some sort because when we see some of the songs on Love Symbol, like you can almost say the Love Symbol album was dedicated to Maite because at this point, you know, he was, I think, starting to fall in love with her because when you see songs like, here's songs like um, The Morning Papers, that's totally about her. And, you know, and he makes reference to the fact that, you know, you know, she is kind of on the young side, but, you know, what does that have to do with, you know, when it comes to love, well, it has a lot to do with, a lot to do with it, uh, uh, Prince. And, um, but you know, people also have to kind of put everything in its context because a lot of people don't know this, but Prince's mother and Prince's father were 27 years apart, 27. So just imagine Prince grew up with parents that were 27. His, his father, John Nelson, was 27 years, almost 30 years, 30 years older than his mother when they met. And so for Prince, it wasn't, he didn't see age as being a big thing because he grew up with parents that had, you know, two decades, you know, between them. So when you think about it from that perspective, you can kind of see why he didn't think that her being so young and being around him was a problem. But now looking back, it was definitely an issue, you know? And I can understand why people feel like, you know, he was a little bit of a jerk and may have been grooming her to a certain extent, but we really honestly can't say that because uh, Maite herself has often refuted that in interviews that she doesn't feel that Prince groomed her at all. So, you know, everybody is entitled to their opinion about it. But the, the fact of the matter is, you know, nothing sexual happened until she was of age. And even though, you know, 19 is still considered, you know, young, it's it's legal. <laughs> so let me kind of move on from that and talk about some of his other relationships that he had. Um, now, he did, like I said, he did have a thing for younger women, barely legal women. Let's just let that be known, because around the same time, he was also with um, another muse, Carmen Electra whose real name is uh, Tara Patrick. And uh, he met her through Robin Power. And uh, he st- she started, you know, dancing and singing. And he actually dropped what he was doing with Rosie Gaines at the time because he was supposed to be re- producing a record for Rosie Gaines. And after he met Carmen Electra and started uh, producing for her, he totally dropped her, her project and... Um, started working with Carmen Electra and just became just enamored with her. And I hate that for Rosie Gaines. And I think that Rosie Gaines actually said in an interview or um, many years later that, you know, had maybe she had been the fact that she wasn't sleeping with Prince was maybe the reason why her her album got put to the side. And that's kind of like what she said. And I was just like, whoa, but it's true. You know, like he, you know, he preferred... Uh, what a lot of people will refer to as vanity projects, you know, <laughs> uh, pun intended, um, meaning that vanity projects, meaning, you know, women that he was involved with personally, like you, you, you would get albums out of him. I think even Jill Jones has said something to the effect in one of her interviews that he didn't really give flowers and roses, which he actually did, but he liked to give women music. He liked to give them albums, records, you know, songs. That was his way of showing love. And so if you got, I mean, and then, you, so 
if you think about it, he really must have loved Sheila because she got three albums out of him more than any other woman that he was ever with. And we're going to explore that uh, relationship when I get to talking about Sheila E in my Purple Kingdom series. But um, but anyway, so he was, you know, enamored with uh, uh, Carmen Electra, but, but he was also seeing uh, Nona Gay as well at the same time. So he just, like I said, he had a, he had a bag just juggling all these women. But when it came to Nona Gay in particular, I really felt like he was a complete jerk to her because there were rumors abound that, you know, she had got pregnant and Prince had made her get an abortion. Like I said, that's just a rumor that has never been confirmed by Nona Gay. But if that's what happened, that's definitely a jerk move. Now, come on. And also at the same time, um, another jerk move that he may have done with another woman was, uh, Chili from, um, uh, TLC. Her, her real name is Rosanda. Can't remember what her last name is, but so anyway, he was supposedly also seeing her around the same time. This is all in the nineties, like the early to mid nineties, you know, TLC, they were a pretty hot group at the time. And so, uh, as the story goes, and this was on prince.org, so you can take it with a grain of salt and I'm, it won't hurt my feelings. But, and, but Rosanda has even said that, you know, her and Prince used to hang out around Paisley Park and that they actually would just go see the movie Clueless together. So she did confirm that they did have some type of, you know, interaction. So it might be some truth to this story, but here go to tea, y'all. So one night, um, Prince said he was going to come pick her up in, in, in the limo and she got in the limo. He gave her a rose and then next thing you know, they started doing some heavy petting and make a long story short, they ended up, you know, getting it on in the limo. And so after, you know, they were done having sex, uh, he dropped her right back off at her apartment. Now he had told her, you know, not to pack any clothes that he was going to take her on a shopping spree and they were going to go somewhere, you know. And so, so Rosanda Chili was like, oh my God, we're going to, you know, catch a flight somewhere. And so by the time they pulled back around to her apartment, she was like, why are we back here? I thought we were getting ready to catch a flight. And, and supposedly Prince said something to the effect of, yeah, well, we, we just took a ride, you know, and here you go. Goodbye. So <laughs> if that actually happened, that was beyond a jerk move. That's an asshole move. Okay. And I hope the story isn't true. But given the fact that he was kind of a chauvinist when it came to women, it wouldn't surprise me if it was a true story. So shame on you, Prince, if you actually did that to Chili. Uh, but like I said, just another story that we'll never know for sure if it's true or not. But another, yet another story that, uh, going back to Nona Gay here, that she found out about Prince and Maite's engagement in the most hurtful way. Now... Nona Gay dated Prince from about 1991 till about 1995, 1994-ish, something like that. And because um, Maite and Prince got engaged, I believe in late 90, it had to be late 95 because they got married in February of 1996 on Valentine's Day. So they had to have got engaged in late 95. And so, yeah, so, so Nona was, you know, still thinking, oh, Prince is, you know, my man. And so... They go to this listening party. Now, mind you, you know, Nona and uh, Carmen and Maite were all working, you know, together around the same time. And Prince had them working together and he was still sleeping with all of them. So that just goes to show you what type of a pimp 
Prince was. You know, he had all three women that he was... Matter of fact, he had them all on stage at one point. If y'all go on YouTube, y'all can see that. I think it was the American Music Awards of like 94, 95. Um, when they did that uh, Prince uh, and Artist Medley or something. That's the one where he came about the floor and he did the dance that now has gone viral on uh, on TikTok when they were doing the uh, that Beyonce dance or whatever. Um the uh I can't remember what the challenge was, but anyway, it was from that show. And in that show, Nona Gay was performing with him, Maite was performing with him, and Carmen Electra was performing. Same show. I mean, just legendary status pimp. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, so they went to this listening party, and I, I can't I don't know if it was for um, I guess maybe it was for the gold experience album, I'm assuming. Uh, but I'm not real sure. But anyway, so She's at this listening party, you know, and then all of a sudden Prince comes in with Maite and Maite is flashing this big diamond ring and announcing going around, you know, telling, you know, people at the party that her and Prince are engaged. And so Nona is looking like, what the, what? Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, how are you engaged to him and we're still supposed to be together? So you can just imagine, you know, how devastated Nona was and she would say in a later interview that she was just heartbroken you know because she said that um and I and I talked about this in my episode where I talk about his uh love life during the 90s that she said that the whole time that she was with Prince he you know liked to play mind games you know with her and he but you know but she wasn't the only person because Prince just liked to play mind games in general I mean with his uh with his band like I was listening to the uh the official Prince podcast and um, Lisa Coleman would talk about how sometimes uh, back during the revolution days, how Prince would tell the band, he would call them into his dressing room before a show and be like, okay, I'm, I'm breaking up the band tonight. So you got to play like I'm breaking, but he wouldn't say like, he would just say, I'm breaking up the band tonight. So go out there and play your best. And he would say that to try to make sure that they would play their absolute best when he really had no intentions of breaking the band up. But that's what he would try to say. And Lisa, you know, she made the comment, well, maybe he thought that he was trying to motivate us, but it was really just kind of annoying, you know, the way that he would just kind of like mind screw people. And um, also uh, his hairdresser, Kim Berry, talked about that in her book. So it was something that he did quite a bit. And uh, she said, and I, I can't remember if I had talked about this in... Um, or maybe I did in the first, um, the first part of this, but you know, she, you know, she said that, you know, he had a bad, just, just, you know, trying to, you know, play mind games with people. And she said that, you know, he tried to do it with her with the whole hairdresser situation. I think I may have talked about that in the first one, so I won't revisit it again, but I'll just briefly say that he had a habit of trying to get people that he was about to fire uh, he would try to get them to like train the other person on their job, like the new person. And let's just say Kim Barry was not having it. <laughs> so he tried it, he tried it and it didn't work. But, you know, so I'm assuming, you know, that if she, if he tried that with Kim Barry, who was a long time employee, I'm pretty sure he tried it with other people. I'm pretty sure that people like Morris Hayes, who was his keyboardist for 20 something years, I can only imagine the stories. You know, because he would say things like, yeah, he would, when he would come down on you, 
like if you messed up or something, he would come down hard on you. You know, he's he said he's seen, you know, people, you know, run out in tears or just be really upset. And, you know, he was like, Prince can stress you out. Like he said, but the reason why he said he was able to stay around for as long as he did was because, and I'm talking about Morris Hayes now, um, that he understood that there were five different types of princes. And he always knew once, you know, Prince got to talking, which prince he was dealing with. You know, there was the fun prince. You know, there was the serious prince. There was the prince that would, you know, you know, give you the shirt off his back prince. This was the, you know, prince that was mean as hell prince. And there was another prince that, you know, so you just had to know, like, what type of mood he was in. And that would determine how good or bad a day you were going to have as a band member. <laughs> and, I mean, it's just, you know, and... It, and I don't want to say that this is necessarily a character flaw per se, but I mean, that's just who he was. And either you got with it and understood it or you didn't. And if you didn't get it, you were gone. You know, uh, that he was just one of those type of people. And it was very reminiscent of me to James Brown because that's how James Brown was with his band. And uh, actually one of his drummers, I was uh, listening to a short reel and he said that, you know, a lot of people, you know, they did one thing wrong. They were gone. James was like, you done. And Clyde said, you know, he didn't ever get fired. He quit twice because he said he just could not put up with James's attitude. Like he said, he was just a jerk. You know, he was just horrible. And I have, you know, and other people in Prince's, you know, uh, camp have said that he was a very hard person to work for. You know, because his he set such high standards for everybody. He set high standards for himself, but he set, you know, high standards for everybody. Like, if he told you to do something, no matter how wild it was, like, you had to do it. And he didn't take no for answer. Like, you had to make it work. You know, or if you couldn't make it work, you need to tell him why it wouldn't work. And then he would decide, you know, what to do then. But you could not tell him no. He was just, you know... He had just got to, you know, a point in his career where he just was like, yeah, everything, people, I, I pay you to do this. I pay you to do a job and you're, you're going to do it, you know, <laughs> and if you're not, I'm going to find somebody else, you know, because Kim talked about in her book how people in a way just were so, you know, you know, so throw, so replaceable, so throwaway for Prince. Cause he would be like, well, you know, I can find somebody else. And he, and he said, and she said that, uh, Prince had made the statement. Well, everybody can be bought. You know, everybody has a price. And I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> like, tell us how you really feel Prince, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I think a lot of this attitude that he had definitely calmed down by the time he got in his fifties. Uh, he seemed to be a nicer person. And from all intents and purposes, uh, like by the time he was working with Third Eye Girl about two years before his death, they always talked about how patient he was with them and how he really, you know, inspired them and encouraged them. And and not to say that he didn't do that with his earlier bands, but he just seemed to be in a in a more, let's say, mature headspace. And he wasn't as quick to, you know, get mad and fly off at the handle as he was known to do when he was much younger. And so I think that that's like with anybody, you know, maturity comes with age. And I think that's what, what happened with Prince. And, um, and I just want to say this, uh, before I end the episode, I don't think that any of these instances, you know, make him a bad person. I just think that it make him 
they make him human just like anybody else. A lot of people, a lot of Prince's fans want to put Prince on a pedestal and make it seem like he did no wrong, but he did a lot of wrong. You know, he did a lot of wrong to a lot of people. He hurt people. Uh, he hurt, you know, both of his wives and, and, but does that make him a bad person? No, it doesn't make him a bad person. It just makes him human. I mean, we've all done things. We've all got skeletons in our closet. But I think with people like Prince and other people who are in the public, you know, more is known about their skeletons and less is known about, you know, for instance, your skeletons. And so before we are quick to judge him, especially given now that he's not here, um, we just have to take stock of, you know, who we are and the things that we have done in our lives that, you know, God or whoever that we answer to might not be pleased with, you know? So I just want to end this with that. And I, you know, for anybody who's feeling some type of way about the series, I wasn't trying to bash Prince. I was just trying to put more of a, a human picture of Prince because we see Prince the musician. We see Prince the genius. We see Prince the, you know, the whatever. But we, we really need to, you know, also look at him as a man because that's who he was. And a, a flawed genius, but he was a genius nonetheless. And there's nothing wrong with looking at both positive and negative uh, points of view on a person. And I could have talked about some more stuff like, um, for instance, well, I guess I could talk about it uh, real quick before I end uh, about the situation with his son, which was so very, very tragic. And we just learned recently when um, Maite was on Funktopia, Funktopia, she did an interview and uh, she was able to get the ashes of their son back from uh, Kirk Johnson, of all people. So I am glad that she did uh, the, the ashes of their son, Amir, are now in her possession. But she had us thinking for years that Prince was cruel enough to have destroyed the ashes. And I never bought that story, even when I read it in her book. Uh, so I didn't actually listen to the interview. So I don't know if she you know, address that, um, that, or did she just kind of say, oh, well, that's what I was told, you know, because I don't know if Prince actually told her that, or if, um, I don't know what the, what the real story is, but I'm just glad that she does have the ashes, but I have never thought that he would be that cruel. You know, he might've wanted to get rid of Maite, but never his son, never, never, never. I would never see Prince wanting to destroy anything that, you know, his son's ashes, come on now, that's just, that's, he might want to destroy homes, but not his son's ashes. So I, I never did believe that story, uh, that his, that Amir's ashes were destroyed by Prince or anybody, uh, for that matter. So I'm glad that that was in fact proven true. Um, but the whole situation, I think Prince just, he, he just didn't know how to deal with his son's death. And he isolated himself from Maite. And instead of them coming together, it caused them to, you know, uh, be driven apart. And that's just so sad, you know, that I think that, you know, as a man, he could have, you know, tried to be there more for his wife and they could have grieved together. Um, but he chose not because he didn't, he didn't want to, he wanted to, it was something negative. It was something bad that he didn't know how to process. And so he just went back to his safe space, which was his music, you know, which was always his first and one true love. And, um, that's how, that was his way of dealing with it. And I think by the time, um, he allowed Larry Graham to come into his life, uh, he was looking for answers, I think. And I think Larry kind of saw 
how vulnerable Prince was. And that's why he was able to kind of lure him to the Jehovah's Witness. Um, look, I'm not trying to be offensive to anybody, any of the Jehovah's Witnesses out there. Uh, but I, I just, I don't know. I'm just, I hate to call them like a cult, but I don't know. Some of the things they believe were just kind of, I don't know, kind of nutty to me. I'll just be honest. Like I said, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to offend anybody. It's just like, I guess I just need a better understanding of some of their beliefs. But, um, but anyway, by the time Larry, get, Larry Graham came around, he just went to that, just further isolated him from Maite because she didn't really understand a lot of the Jehovah's Witnesses beliefs either. And she wasn't about to, you know, be converted. And that further led to the further separation. So by that time, you know, she was staying in the house in, in Spain and she made a comment that she said throughout her book that, you know, she knew that she was on the outs because she was spending more time in Spain than she was at Paisley Park. Because she said the woman that was at Paisley Park, that was the woman that he wanted to be with. If you were not at Paisley Park, if you were in Spain or LA or, you know, not in Minneapolis, you were not his woman. And so she kind of knew by the time she was in Spain and in that big house by herself that it was over. And by that time, you know, he had started, you know, messing around with his with Manuela, who would be his second wife. And um, it just kind of went, you know, so he was a cheater. You know, he was a, um, what do you call it? A habitual <laughs> cheater. Uh, he cheated on just about probably every woman he was with. Let's just keep it real. Uh, he just could not be with one woman. And I don't know if it was more of his ego or if he just was just like, I just, I have to love all the women. <laughs> like, I don't know what it was, but it was a jerk type of attitude to me, how he treated a lot of women. He is, I mean, and despite this, you know, he still had a respect for female musicians and he always, uh, make sure that he had female musicians in his band. So he appreciated women on a musical aspect. But a personal aspect, mm, that's another story as it would seem. Uh, so <laughs> um, to be continued on that one, we're going to talk more about that in some of the other episodes I got coming out. But up next, I will have a uh, Come album review coming up. I've got another book review. I finally got in uh, Morris Day's book, uh, A Princely Time and Funk. So I'm going to be reviewing that. also have another top 10 coming up in talking about my favorite uh, TV television interviews, which he didn't do a lot of those. So it was kind of hard to kind of, I did have a poll uh, like ooh, probably about a month ago now on the Facebook page about it. And y'all really liked the, the Mel B uh, interview. So I'll have to go back and look at that one again. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be talking about that uh, as well. And as always, if you guys have any suggestions about subjects that you would like for me to discuss on the podcast, just hit me up on the Facebook page or um, you could also leave a message on uh, Spotify as well. Just let me know if you like the podcast and what I can improve upon. I still kind of, even though I've been doing the podcast for over a year now and I am about to make a big leap into uh, YouTube here, probably the first of the year, uh, I still kind of consider myself to be kind of a newbie with a lot of this. So I'm still trying to figure things out and I, I'm still saying that and I'm probably a good almost 60, 60 episodes into this uh, venture here. But, um, you know, I'm always up for improvement. So subjects, topics, you know, just just hit me up, y'all. OK, so 
I'm going to end right there. So thank you guys for listening, for all the ones who listened to the very end. Peace and be wild, and may you live to see the dawn. Bye.